Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandspring. And welcome. Last podcast before the end of term. Yes, yes. We've brought all our favourite games in. Well, and I guess that's the question, isn't it? We we looked last week at the full council um, meeting on Tuesday and with 12 or 11 notices of motion and some other fairly meaty topics, the, uh, it would appear that the, the, the sweepstake was out as to, you know, what, what time Wednesday morning it was going to finish. And if you add to that the searing heat of Tuesday, there was, there was genuine fear for some of our councillors. But the, I guess we'll explore today whether, whether searing heat and the prospect of um, heat exhaustion focuses the mind, as I believe everybody was out by about half uh, past yeah, nine. six and three quarter hours the, the meeting was, um, considering there were, what, 13, uh, 13 items on the agenda. And uh, one of those items, which was the notices of motion, had, uh, had 11 items. Um, and there were, there were also five questions uh, from members. So um, it was not exactly um, not exactly an empty agenda, but they managed to sweep through it. So I don't know, maybe maybe it's an argument for making the council chamber less comfortable in future so that people get through, are motivated to get through things. I don't know. We're, we've got some councillors on, so maybe we can ask them whether <laughs> whether yep, they'd we'll, consent we'll, to that or not. They, they we'll might we'll not ask think. them first-hand. First... First, an apology to the listeners. If my uh, voice is not sounding its usual lovely, waxy, um, and lyrical tone, uh, it was a uh, it was a day of cricket yesterday, and I had to skip at the side. So, um, yeah, that's that's basically five hours of shouting in an enthusiastic way. So, um, the vocal cords are not quite as premium as they could okay. be. Okay. Well, we we'll, we shall bear that in mind. It's not like you're being sponsored by some sort of chocolate manufacturer, and you're trying to do you know getting an extra money from voiceovers but um. trying trying to influence so shall we start off with uh uh we haven't been able to capture him live but earlier today you uh you headed off with the virtual microphone to have a chat with matt winnington from the lib dem to talk about principally the uh the the motion that was about um the council bringing more gps into the city and possibly hiring some yeah. themselves we had our reservations. Yeah, we when not? we when so, we kicked uh, it about last week, uh, we did kind of question how the council would be able to make any difference to that themselves if local practices haven't been able to recruit GPs themselves. Um, but yeah, Matt managed to get into a bit of the detail. Um, but um, he, um, I think it's going to be a good idea if we can get him back on after the summer break to uh, to give us a bit of an update on how things are going with that one. But yeah, let's hear what Matthew's got to say. Thanks very much for joining us. What's the what's the motion about and why is it needed? Okay, so it's very much about in the situation as we find it in Portsmouth now. So the uh, Nuffield Trust has found that uh, uh, Portsmouth has the lowest number of um, uh, GPs per person population in the country, uh, and it's uh, fallen from second worst to the worst. Um, and so previously Hull was the worst in the country, um, and now we are. Um, and so it's based on that in terms of the, that recent evidence, but it's also based on, and the background to it, is very much based on experiences I and, and, and other, other uh, campaigns for Lib Dems have had 
during the election campaign that we had earlier this year. Um, but also, and I, I'm in my professional area of where I work in the adult social care sector, and um, the feedback that we've had from some of our our, our clients and, and and carers within that area has very much been about this situation with having real issues uh, accessing GPs um, and 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 being able to have the support from their GPs that that they feel they need. Um, but that all obviously fits in with the fact that we now know we've got this statistical thing that we have the lowest number of GPs per head of population in the entire country, which is um, which is just a real problem. And uh, and so this is this the whole motion is about recognizing that fact. What can we do with GPs and other primary care? Because let's not uh, forget primary care is not just GPs; it's pharmacists, physiotherapists. Uh, and other healthcare professionals as well, who are there to support you as your initial contact with the healthcare system. Um, and how can we work with them to improve things in terms of access to GPs and primary care in general, but also what can we do about um, helping uh, GPs be recruited? And indeed, uh, can we actually recruit them uh, and employ them ourselves? How is it that the how is it that you think the the council is going to have more success than than existing uh, practices are um, with regard to that? What 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 can they could the council bring to bear that perhaps hasn't worked elsewhere? Um, it, it's GPs are a really tricky one. I mean, uh, the GP model, the model for GPs being employed and indeed having their own practices, goes back to 1948. It's pretty much unchanged um, since since then. Um, and it is very difficult for third parties to um, employ GPs, uh, which is one of the issues. So therefore, you can't. So perhaps if you just want to set up a practice, it's virtually impossible, um, or it's very very difficult. And uh, indeed, the, the the way that it works, and we had this when we had the motion two and a half years ago, which is during research for that motion, it was found out effectively we're all owned by our GPs. It's a is that they own their list uh, and uh, to set up a new practice they have effectively you have to find you have to get a gp or gps to relinquish part of their list um and that has a financial um impact on them because if you have le less people on your list it has some impact on your funding etc so it's it's a difficult thing but also within gp practices one of the issues is you have to have partners so um uh, in terms of uh, if it's a traditional setup GP practice, you have to have partners. So that means you have to have a core group of GPs who effectively are the owners of the business. Um, so GPs might fundamentally be independent contractors, but most of them, especially now, they club together to create practices together and they own that business. And, but they're responsible for everything. They're responsible for the building. They're responsible for all of those aspects. There's a huge amount of paperwork. It's much more than it used to be. And therefore, it's a huge bureaucratic burden. And one of the issues why we've had the mergers of practices around the city over the last few years is very much because you've had people who've retired from becoming um, partners or people who just don't want to be partners anymore. So they move on and they just want to be a salary GP. So it's that salary GP bit that if the council was able to 
um, would be really helpful because what you could do is you could employ GPs who could perhaps be um, be support other practices around the city, or you could you could help a practice out by employing them directly. There's a lot of legal stuff because, of course, to be able to employ GPs, you'd need to have that funding stream to get that, which in the same way, so effectively, you'd need to take some NHS money to employ the GPs. Uh, and that, that's quite a bureaucratic process. So one of the things we're really asking about in the letter to uh, that the uh, leader of the council was sent is one of the things is make it much easier for that to happen. So you, you're not stuck in this this old way of working and this really bureaucratic way to even get the funding to be able to employ GPs. But for our practices around the city, that might well have a be being another another pathway that you can get gps in so it 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 wouldn't be instead of it would be in addition to because i think the the real point there is it's it's not the recruitment intention of gps we have in the city is not going to be sold by a magic bullet but it what it does need is support from the center uh mm -hmm. from from national government and one of the things that we think would help or certainly might well help is that if we could employ them as a council, um, because also our bureau, you know, our bureaucracy within the council could support that. Whereas, is if you're a, if you're a GP practice, if you you know the more GPs you have, the more admin you have, and all that kind of stuff. So we're a big organisation; we can absorb that within much a much bigger area. Whereas, is if you're a, especially if you're a smaller GP practice in the city, recruiting GPs and going through that process is actually quite a bureaucratic burden on what is a really a small effectively a small business um and so that that could that could be something there it might be that rather than us doing directly as we um, i'm going to come in a minute to uh i think we're going to come in a minute to what we're doing next yeah. but one of the things might be is that it fundamentally we might not say okay maybe us employing them directly might not be especially if they don't change legislation might not be the most practical solution but there might be other things we can do as the council to support the GP practices in their recruitment as well, including the admin side. Okay, no, thanks. So it, there's a lot of layers to it that I don't think probably most people understand and where it's essentially, like you say, practices are essentially a private business. It's almost like a franchise model, isn't it? Where, you know, if you're essentially trying to carve up a bit of someone else's turf and that sounds like a horrendous way to talk about patients but essentially that's how the, if that's how the model operates you've got to fight against that in order to be able to do the right thing for people which is get more get more gps in in, in front of people so um yeah so, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 that is yeah and that is that is the thing and it and it all goes it all goes back to 48 and it all goes back to the fact that of course the nhs came in and it replaced private doctors so it, it, you went so it was a way of placating uh, doctors that say well you retain your list of patients yeah. you will get paid per patient effectively you're given the resources that will fit your list and that effectively is the is, is the the underlying situation in terms of how much your practice gets of mm -hmm. yeah of, of support for, for, for to be able to do this so that's uh, that really goes right back to the fact that when when uh, healthcare was nationalised, um, and and it fundamentally hasn't changed uh, since then, and and even with this, 
this this latest NHS reorganisation, which came into statutory footing on the first of July, it still hasn't changed. So we're still we're still in that fundamental model of um, of, of of GP provision as we've been uh, for the last uh, seventy four years. Crikey! Um, so what's next then? What's the what's the kind of the next? What's on the next? What's next on the action list? So on the fourth of um, August, so in uh, a week and a half's time, we are going to be having a, uh, a conference, um, which uh, is uh, was hosted by myself and, and uh, Councillor Bernard Jackson, and we are bringing together GPs, pharmacists, physios, other um, primary care professionals, um, and obviously our, our colleagues uh, from the council. Um, and from the wider integrated care system as well, which is the new body, which is the Hampshire Isle of Wight um, body that that supports, uh, that effectively is responsible for the NHS in our area. And really have that really open, frank conversation and say, what are, what are the issues um, in terms of recruitment? But not just about that, it's also about to get across and, and, and help help the people, the, the GPs and people within the healthcare sector understand the, the the feelings of the local people in the city who are feeling like, I can't see a GP, it's really hard to get an appointment. Um, see what the best practice is out there because it's very noticeable that some GP surgeries are easier to get appointments than others or certainly it feels that way. Um, other GP surgeries have a really poor reputation uh, and it feels and you the response we have from people with those is that they feel like actual barriers are put in the way of having a face-to-face -face appointment that it almost seems to have entirely gone to an online mm -hmm. online first which during the pandemic of course that was the preference because obviously you wanted to keep people away from surgeries if you could but actually as we know though it might not have felt like it there was always all gp surgeries in the city did do face-to-face -face appointments throughout. I know that wasn't the case everywhere, but we there was there were face-to-face -face appointments throughout the pandemic. Um, even if some of them were, were very few, there was every surgery. Um, so, and the, the feeling is that some of the worst practice from the pandemic has been carried over to post-pandemic now, or not post-pandemic, but the situation we are now. And 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 it's just about say, okay, how can we get a standard level of service across all our surgeries what good practice could there be what learning can there be what kind of thing can we do differently but also what asks do we need to make of central government with the ministers what asks do we need to make of for the um uh for the integrated care system our, our new nhs body who's uh, responsible for the nhs in hampshire isle of white um and and what practically can we do together what what can we do from the council's point of view? How can we support that recruitment strategy, which they all need to do? How can we support retention? One of the really interesting things I was talking to a uh, senior GP in the city just a couple of weeks ago was the fact that um, you can recruit GP, sorry, you can train up GPs, and we have a really good training program at GP practices in, in, in the city, very successful one produces lots of fantastic GPs. However, retaining them at the end of their training period, very, very hard. Um, and a lot of them are um, not necessarily leaving the city, 
but what they are doing is they're not staying in practice um, settings. They're becoming locums. And locums, as if, if, if you're not uh, familiar with the term, you would have come across it probably at some point, but effectively they're your, um, if you think of teaching, they're like your supply doctors, yeah. they're like supply yeah. teachers. You know, they fill in at practices for um, effectively when they have when they need extra capacity or doctors off sick or, or not well or not available for any reason. And uh, because if you're a locum, you have your you can make your own hours, you can decide what you want to work, it's not set. Um, and also the standards model for paying locums is more, it's more expensive. Uh, and indeed, we know that some practices in the city, for example, and this is a becoming more common practice nationally, a way to get locums is saying, well, we'll employ you as a locum, but um, or even as a as a salary GP, but you don't ever have to do a face to face appointment. Um, and again, that yeah, yeah, uh, but that but that's the level that's the level of desperation there is to get <laughs> bums on seats. So get someone in the door. Uh, yeah. so just to get just to get someone in so it's it's a real it's this real balancing act here there's there's, there's a lot there so um no well thank you for for coming on and talking about that matthew it's really really interesting um we look forward to if you can come back on at a later date and let us know how that meeting on the fourth goes um perhaps after we've had our summer break uh it'd be lovely to hear more from you yeah no i mean for, for for me we caught the body of it and, and again it is one that that it, it, it there's layers and nuance and i think we've touched on the whole thing with with gps and lists and and the fact that it, very interesting it's the backdrop of the narrative of privatizing the nhs the fact that doctor surgeries have always been run as um as private businesses um which i thought was interesting the other one which i'd definitely like to unpack some more of when we get matt on is that the tone came across very strongly and strongly in that brief interview for me that that virtual consultations very bad face-to-face -face consultations very good um and i'm not sure that i agree uh, to, with be, that. to be fair to him that's in the interest of time that's one of the one of the things that we discussed kind of later on um that he did go on to explain mm. that in an ideal world, actually, you'd have a you, you'd have a service that um, enabled patients to engage with it in whichever way was the most convenient, and effective for them. Um, whether that would be a telephone mm. or a Zoom, um, a Zoom consultation, or whether that's in person, whatever their needs are, depending on their particular needs or their particular ailment or condition. So, um, yeah, to be fair to him, that's that's not actually what, what you know what he what he actually went on to say. So, um, yeah, so cool. really um, interesting to have him have him back on and have a have a bit more time just to quickly mention um rob in the comments is is um is saying that access to nhs dentistry is is more of an issue in portsmouth he must have phoned he says he's phoned about 50 uh, dental practices to register without success and this needs fixing as soon as possible so you know if there's a solution here for gps could could that work for the dentistry yeah you know, that, that's a good one yeah, no, and that and that that's one which definitely doesn't work on a on a on a Skype or a Zoom call. No. So yeah, no, definitely one for us to to pick mm -hmm. up and explore. Um, now I, I think um, uh, it would be fair to say that the um, there was a little bit of toing and froing, but ultimately. Um, that that proposal passed um, yes um I, I don't think it was really a surprise that it um that it passed unanimous but it did pass um without a so there was a labor amendment that um that fell um 16 to 18 so um 
that didn't get subsumed in into the original motion um and wasn't accepted outright uh by uh, by the liberal democrats so um so yeah the original uh, the original motion as submitted uh, was passed unanimously by the council and that was quite a quite a significant theme of the of the uh, of the meeting yes. and whether again that was the nature of the submissions or whether that was the uh, discomfort of the day i don't know let's get a councillor on and ask them absolutely so uh so that perhaps wasn't one that uh that that was one top of labor's uh wins for the for the day but um they they had other motions which seemed to go much better so let's welcome councillor graham heaney to give us a labor perspective well, good evening, thank you <clears throat> thank you for inviting me on um do you want me to just to say a little bit about the about the meeting generally, then I'll just talk about our three motions. Yeah, um, I mean, yes, there was, that would be that would be the, yeah, six, six there, and there three quarters hours the in agenda, the hot but house. I think we we generally uh, take the view that we try to have one main speaker for each item on the basis that you just don't really need about three or four because if you can make the argument in six minutes, you should be able to do it. You know, um, sometimes other parties follow, sometimes they don't, but we were very clear about that as well. Um, and I think the heat of the day probably did have some effect um, that people didn't want to be there for you know, nine or ten, nine or ten hours. But actually, I think there was also a degree of consensus. I mean, if I just turn to the to the three motions that we actually put forward and focus on them, happy to talk about others, but mm. I just want to focus on those ones. The, the first one that sure. we put forward was my yep. colleague uh, Charlotte Gerardo and Judith Smythe on phasing out pesticides and weed killers. Now, this is an issue we've taken up before, and the council has come back on it, but there did seem to be a bit of reluctance to really proceed with this within a sort of reasonable time frame, which is why we brought it back. Um, and I mean, I, I mm. think it's an, an, an awareness as well. I think we've become much more aware now that when we put stuff into the environment, it doesn't just disappear. It, it sometimes stays there and sometimes it gets um, reconstituted into something else. And sometimes that doesn't produce good results. Um, I mean, I'm no scientist, uh, mm. not, a, not a science scientist, but you know, um, but I have followed and been interested in environmental issues for a long time. So I know that, you know, what we put into our environment, you know, does get does get recycled in all sorts of ways, sometimes in, in terms of pollution and whatever. So I think we have to think really carefully about what we put into the environment. We're getting more and more evidence that some of the pesticides and weed killers that we've used over the years have been really, really, really detrimental. Um, I think Rachel... Uh, sorry, I think Charlotte quoted um, by Rachel Carlson called Silent Spring, written back in the 60s. She was an American scientist. And I read that book when I was at school, actually. And it was quite interesting because she actually pointed out how some of the chemicals that were being used in the 40s and 50s were having hugely detrimental effects on, on wildlife, on the environment, you know, things like DDT and so on. And they were long-term mm. poisons that stayed around in the environment for years and then got into the food chain and then affected other species. So that was the problem. Now, the thing about uh, Rachel Carson was that she was one of the first to really raise this as a scientist and got a lot of pushback from the chemical industry as well, you know, at the time uh, against this. You know. um, but now I think we've become much more aware, much more sensitive to this issue. So the motion was really asking the council to effectively take a lead because I think local authorities as public organisations representing the community should do that in looking to try and um, remove these as, as fast as possible final alternative methods and there was a lot of detail in the amendment I, I won't go into all the detail but really what it was what it was about. Mm. Um, the second one was around one in participating local democracy. Um, we're obviously aware that the turnout in local elections is, is relatively low compared to general elections at least 
um, and has been for some time. Um, and we are also aware that changes to the way in which people present at elections and providing ID is going to potentially put some challenges for people who, who don't have photo ID or maybe don't think about it as, a, as, a, as, a, as something they need for election purposes. But this is slightly wider, I suppose, because we did have some conversations and it came out of some conversations that colleagues had with the Learning Disability uh, Forum about the, the partnership about this. And we recognise that people with disabilities don't always get access. Either material is not accessible to them because they, they, they can't access it easily, or if you are partially sighted, you know, you can't read a leaf that goes push through your door, you know. So we need to think about these things more. And the, one of the suggestions in the motion was that we would hold an event, get the group leaders to hold an event for uh, people with learning disabilities through the partnership to have an event where we could present and people could ask questions and hear people's views and that would be a way of creating a, a, an accessible um, event but we're also asking the council to have a look at um, a report on what else can be done to try and make sure that local democracy is accessible people's ability to participate in it um, so that was really important too. the final one was uh... I guess looking at that one though Graham just if we can interject there obviously if you're looking for you know, at any point for two uh, local political podcasters to to moderate such events, then uh, then you have a couple of willing volunteers well, that would. That's would that's a really good offer. Yes, I'm sure that's something we we could certainly bear in mind, and and I'll make sure that that gets passed on to the uh, people who are doing the review. So that that would be certainly something we'd, we'd we'd welcome. So thank you very much for that. And and it sounded like there was there was pretty much unanimous support for 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 both of those. Yes, I mean, I think I think. It doesn't matter what party you are, you want people to participate mm. in, in the democratic process and to, to make their views known and you know, be able to express their choices about who is representing them. You know, so we really, really want that. We don't, we don't want to see low turnouts. We want as many people as possible. I mean, all sorts of reasons why people don't, but you know, trying to find ways in which we can make it easier for people to do that is, is really important for local democracy. The final one was, was somewhat ironic. <laughs> Because as as the mover Judith Smythe said on, on on the on the hottest day of the year so far, we were putting a motion forward that people ought to be able to find warm places to go to, rather um, than cool places to go to. Um, but this was really an anticipation of of what is likely to happen in the autumn when we know energy prices are likely to go up and people are really going to struggle to pay their heating bills. And if you are, you know, maybe not working or you you have health problems and you're at home. Um, keeping your heating on all day may be really a, a struggle. So the idea was that um, we would ask the city council to do some preparatory work to work with volunteers, basically looking at the sort of support people gave to other people during COVID, you know, the sort of collective mm. support that everyone gave people, you know, trying to mobilise that um, to help in the winter so that people have got warm places to go to. So it could be churches, community centres, libraries, etc. Now, I know, you know libraries do fire, do actually provide a nice place for people to go if you, if you, if you want to. If you, if, you're, if you can't heat your home, you can go to spend all day in the library reading a book or whatever. That's a really nice thing to do. So it's not that we don't do that, but mm. we, we need probably to make it a bit, make people a bit more aware of it because some people might feel that, well, that's not what I should use the library for. Well, yeah, maybe you should, you know, and maybe churches can get involved and other uh, community organisations so can do that. So the purpose of the motion was really to do some preparatory work to um, make that uh, possibility available for people to, uh, to to cope with the potential problems that the the, heat, the increase in energy bills will cause from you know as the winter comes in from October onwards. 
And this is something we got quite excited about on the the, the podcast last uh, last time when we reviewed it because, you know, I I, I think it, it is interesting, isn't it? Because it, it also touches to a motion that just came before about the fact that the civic offices are now um, perhaps underutilised as more people are working from home. And I think I shared on the last podcast, you know, I now have have other people working with me from home so there is a almost a mini office hub in my my house but when i worked from home back in 2018 um nobody else in my my household did so i i would quite often find myself sat here with the dog um you know at sort of quarter past eight when everybody's left and it'll be six o'clock before anybody else turns up so you know, and that's great because mm-hmm. i've got a family um but i think we have got a new segment of society um who perhaps you know are are going to be at home all the time and as you say to 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 keep the heating on is going to be a bit of a challenge so you know it it, it sounds like this is you know this was a this was a motion that everybody could be, get behind in terms of not just about the cost of living but in terms of creating more community hubs where perhaps those that are, are feeling a bit of social isolation have got a, a place to go that's warm and welcoming yeah, I think that's right. As I say, if you if you are on your own and you don't go out very much, and you're retired, you may have not brilliant health. Being able to go somewhere like that could actually increase your social interaction. You know, you you meet mm. new people you wouldn't have met otherwise because you've gone there to to be warm. You know, and you felt able to go there, so that can be another another bonus. I think you you touched on a really interesting point about people working from home because there's an interesting feature of home working where the the we used to go to nice warm offices now the cost of heating is being put on the employee who's having to heat their home so mm-hmm. there's a bit of an issue there i suppose emerging too um employers are not having to pay for the heating because the employees a lot of them are working at home but that's another issue yes no it, and it, yeah. it you know it, it is a it, it is a as i say there's there's two of us now in the house who work for the same organization and and so you know we're, we're here heating lighting um you know, even putting the kettle on to, to to make a cup of tea, all of that comes off of my electricity bill now rather than the organisations, which, you know, you, you can argue is you offset that against the cost of travel to and from, a, you know, a place of work. So there is a there is a bit of quid pro quo in there, but um, it, it's definitely something that needs considering. Yes. Yeah, I think so. so. So the I mean, it, I mean, the motion wasn't initially universally um, uh, applauded was it although there was quite a consensus of agreement there was an amendment a conservative amendment submitted that that sought to put in some of the things that central government uh, were doing but that that wasn't um, subsumed and it was um, and it was and it was lost 11.20 so that wasn't so the original motion was then just carried unanimously unanimously anyway so it was I guess one of those things of is that kind of quite normal that um, that someone will try to make an amendment, but even when that doesn't work, they'll just vote for it anyway. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I think the amendment was was very minor. It wasn't really, and I don't think it really <clears throat> made a significant difference to the to the motion. It didn't really add anything significant to it. So I don't mm-hmm. think my colleague was was willing to accept it, and and ultimately it wasn't enough for the um, the conservatives who put the amendment to vote against it. They they, I, I mean, sometimes we put an amendment forward. Which we'd like to see to improve the motion doesn't mean that if we don't get our amendment accepted, we won't vote for it. You know, because we probably genuinely agree with it, but we mm-hmm. want to add something which we think is useful. So we added, we we asked yeah. some questions about the GP motion, for example, and basically we we're just asking about well, some of the things that were promoted in 2020 don't seem to have happened. You know, 
couldn't we sort of revisit these again? And, and that didn't really sort of fly. So we weren't going to we weren't going to make a, a big thing of it. We we were happy to support the, the motion, even though our amendment didn't go through. So in terms of the meeting as a whole, Graham, it, it appears that there was there was mostly harmony and highlights. Any lowlights for yourself, or are you heading into the summer break now pretty pretty pleased with everything? That um, went on? Yeah, I mean, generally, I I, I I think it was okay. I, I wasn't quite sure why the Conservatives wanted to have a go at me for supporting them and their uh, motion on park homes. Um, we all we're all basically you know rowing in the same direction, but uh, that I think was refighting an old battle going back to the local elections and the. Uh, and the, uh, the council budget meeting, but you know that's just one of these things that happens. So there we are. Yeah, the the, the park homes was one uh, we we got fairly lively about in terms, but very quickly, which is that you know the the more you look at the park homes issue, the the the, the fact that you know I can't believe that anybody thinks it's a good idea, um, and you know I think I think in the end. Um, the Lib Dems couldn't bring themselves to vote against their own original decision, but I think they all abstained rather well, than... Uh... Well, that was bizarre because they actually didn't support their own original decision. They all sat on their hands and didn't vote for it. So I, I think that is a, a token that they are going to make a change. They're going to, you know, maybe, it may take a little while for them to, to reverse it, but I think they are going to do it. It's just a question of when, not if. I think the sooner they do it, the better, because to be honest, I don't think the residents of Cliftdale or Ms. Martin should be left hanging in limbo for another few yeah. months while we while we sort of laboriously go through reversing the decision, I think it's very clear that it's not something that's supported. Um, and and obviously we as a councillor, yeah. the council meeting can't vote things down. We we don't have that power now to do those sorts of things. It's up to the cabinet to decide or cabinet members. So the sooner they do that, the better. Yeah, perfect. But the, the administration defence that was put up for it in the meeting uh, from councillor Sanders didn't really seem to fly that much or last that long from a perspective of he tried to make a defence but then checked with his officers um, who then told him that it wasn't the case that the council was going to get sued. Um, and um, sorry, was it? I couldn't remember whether it was Scott, uh, Scott Peter Harris or, or, or Terry Norton that had challenged him on the Sorry, you're you're trying to suggest that there's a that there's a resident that's in favour of this that's in the parks. Yeah, it was um, it was rather confusing. I mean, he suggested that there were some residents. Who, there, there were some consultations done back in 2006 where there was there were a number of options put to the residents, which involved selling the mobile home parks, um, increasing the pitch fees, um, putting on the charge, and and I think some of the ones there thought they don't want those options, so they might be prepared to accept a, a charge. I think that was the thing because I went back and looked at all the original documents. It's my historian's training of not relying on secondary sources, going back and look at the original documents if you can. And to be honest, I, I was astonished when um, Gassasada said that, that, that people could be sued. I mean, it's just a complete load of nonsense. I don't know where he got that from. And, and I'm very glad he quickly managed to um, <laughs> correct the record. An officer said, no, you do. We, we can't be sued. It's, a, it's, not a, it's not a decision. Marvellous. Harm, yeah. Harmony reached in the end. Harmony in it, yeah. so, Exactly. So bless you, sir. Have a great summer we're uh, we will we're gonna have to move on to the next section but thank you for uh, coming on and uh, and giving us that perspective thank you very much good to see you bye thank you, Graham. so yeah common sense and harmony oh, well grief. to be it's... fair we 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 agreed you know if i'm supporting all three labor motions which i think i did in the uh, in last week's there's got to be some good in there hasn't there so, so. oh well there was the the interesting the interesting um, exchange for me was in the was in the bit about the civic uh, the civic offices where 
um, which was the Conservative motion. And unfortunately, we we um, um, I've got there hold, wasn't a Conservative. Yeah, I've got to hold my hands up to, to that. It's yeah. I've been very poor. It's very late getting invites out. So the fact that we haven't no, got that's what. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, we weren't able to secure a Conservative representative tonight. But but their their motion about basically uh, about the civic offices and reviewing their their use or potential future uses or potential future development. Um, the the Conservatives accepted uh, accepted the the Lib Dem amendment, um, but refused to accept the Labour amendment. But the Labour amendment was simply to remove the sentence that said, "the we the cou uh, council regrets that the Liberal Democrats um, haven't ensured the return to normal in the civic offices." Now, the Liberal Democrats themselves didn't put that in their amendment, um, but Labour did put it in theirs wasn't subsumed uh, wasn't automatically accepted um by the proposer of the of the motion um and um but the amendment itself was carried anyway so it was so it was just this kind of to and fro um and um uh, and then then basically the subsp the substantive so the thus amended motion then passed unanimously anyway uh, so wouldn't wouldn't it, be a, wouldn't be a, a proper council meeting without some pointless bickering over wording would it that's uh but it, but it was strange that the the bickering as you call it yeah, yeah. was actually the labor party calling out asking to remove a sentence that actually attacked the liberal democrats that the liberal democrats didn't seem to have been bothered enough to ask to have removed in their own amendment yeah <laughs> but anyway Marvelous. Who, you know hey home next guest so next we do like yes. george hello Good evening, George. We, we, do, do we call you Councillor Magwick the Younger these days, or are we, are we still going with George? Just <laughs> Councillor Magwick. Brian call him senior. It's fine. Marvellous. Marvellous. So uh, how was how was your fun in the sun on Tuesday, George? You know what? It was, it was pretty good. Bear in mind, the heat was incredible for the part. It wasn't too bad. And you had a couple of motions on the uh, on the uh, agenda on the notices of motions. Um, positive highlights. Yeah, forward the the um, license in border, and it's something I say. It's my first, and it was something that I found really important because the in our city currently from Wolverhampton is, is my the ability for us as a council to license trade in our city and really does pose something that was massively important to us and obviously um sorry george just um check in there i don't know whether ian are you lost, getting the same thing lost, i george. got he got george's audio chopping in and out yeah yeah and i've lost him now um can you still hear us all right george it, it seems that it cuts in and out it's like it doesn't pick up the first thing you say i don't know whether the echo cancellation is actually cancelling you out you're being cancelled george um let me try something if you've got earphones that might help if you've by any chance got any to hand well you're just playing with that george if we if we look at some of the motions which i think are perhaps too dull to to, to that aren't going to come up so uh the, the thing on banks in north end got sub got unanimously voted through even though i don't think we were that keen on it um, I don't think we were from a perspective of what power does the council have to do anything other than say to the banks, could you please sit down and talk to us about this? Welcome back, George. Um, hopefully that works. Hello, is that any better? Oh, that does. Yeah, yeah. that does seem better. Good. Yeah. 
Okay. Yes. Good. Thank you for Good. that. Good. Um, so, um, yeah. So. Yeah, a couple of motions from uh, from from the pips, which was uh, really good to see uh, on there. Um, your you know your your motion about the um, uh, about the uh, the about the cross border licensing uh, that was quite heavily amended by the Conservatives. They pretty much did a wholesale rewrite and added about three more pages to it for you, didn't they? Um, added a few paragraphs, yeah. but um, the Conservatives approached me a good few weeks beforehand. Yeah. Um, I I sent the motion to them way in advance of the council meeting for their opinion. I, I sent it to Labour as well as uh, Liberals as well. And the Conservatives come back to me um, and said they'd like to make some some changes. And they, they brought the changes to me way before the council meeting for me to uh, look at, read and, and see if I was happy with. So although it seems like it was like an out of the blue amendment, it was something that we worked on. Yeah, or yeah. agreed on prior to the to the uh, council meeting. Because there's quite a deadline. There's a deadline, isn't there, for you submitting the original motion? And obviously, if you need to then edit that, you can't edit it after the event. So your opportunity to do that is the amendment, isn't it? Yeah. So I, in my original motion, I wanted to keep the name of the of the people out. I didn't. I didn't want to name Wolverhampton, um, and I didn't want to name other licensing authorities. Um, but the Conservatives really did want to name them. And I don't say that necessarily as bad. It's just that I prefer to keep it ambiguous and a bit, and a bit kind of more discreet. Um, and they wanted to name and shame them, really. So um, that was really the idea and I guess it. to that end, um, George, when, when we were talking about this last week, you know, my... Um, I, I was sort of slightly perplexed in terms of, you know, the hackney carriage arrangements means that, you know, if you're a if you're a private hire driver, you can't pick people up off the street or you can't go and park on the rank. So I, I'm guessing these people who are licensed in in out of um, out of city authorities, are they sort of then working on one of the national platforms like Uber or, you know, are, you know, are, no, they're very currently they're exclusively to Aqua, which is something that's really disappointing. Right. So, um, you know, Aqua, so having killed off every other taxi company in Portsmouth, um, Aqua are now potentially wheeling and drive, moving their drivers out of our city. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a real it's a real shame. Um, you know, it is a real shame, and hopefully we can work with them to, to get them back to our city. I mean, it's just that Wolverhampton is so easy to apply for. You know, I don't know if you listened in that day, but. You know, they, they approved 15,000 applications in one year a couple of years ago. You know, it's it's and they're approving them from all over, from Truro up to um, Edinburgh. They're approving licenses for, you know, and it's just so easy to get a license in Wolverhampton. There's no real restrictions. They haven't got to do CCTV. There's a lot of a lot of things they can skip, and especially with the vehicles. I say we as an authority don't let any vehicles that are over, I think it's four years and six months um, come through. However, theirs is 11 years. Wow. Um, you know, it's it's mind-blowing. I don't know if you saw the photo that I held up, but it was of a Vauxhall Corsa, a 10-year-old Vauxhall Corsa driving around in our city. You know, that, that is not a safe safe vehicle and a comfortable vehicle under the licensing conditions, yep. in our opinion. Um, you know, so it's just a lot easier in Wolverhampton. You can get a lot cheaper, easier cars through the back door. Um, you know, you haven't got to look after them or maintain them as well. Um, there's a lot of things and a lot of benefits to, to, to having a taxi out of city. And it's a real shame. And we need to we need to tighten down on that, especially, as I say, especially because of the safety aspect. Because, you know, if somebody calls our licensing authority and says, I've had an issue with a taxi driver, um, blah, blah, we can't do anything. We can't call that taxi driver in for a review. We can't can't do anything there's yeah. no enforcement action so no, it's, I, it's I did really a piece bad. of work uh, 
probably six or seven years ago now on behalf of the licensing authority, strolling about the city with my guide dog, um, seeing whether people would um, give us any issues and access refusals. And, um, you know, it, it, the vast majority were great, but, you know, even then there were there were still people who, and, and you hear it regularly that, um, you know, you know, you oh, well, well, you know, I'm allergic. Well, have you got a medical exemption certificate? Um, it's all gone quiet. So, um, no, good to see that one through. <laughs> um, and yeah, let's 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 hope for some action on that. And then uh, Hillsey Community Centre. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, fundamentally, Russell, um, as I say, Councillor Simpson went around and obviously did a lot of door knocking in his campaigning. Um, and I said to him as he's going around, you know, write up all the issues. So as you're going around, you know, highlight the you know, the majority of the issues and a lot of the a certain demographic, you know, a lot of a certain demographic was saying about a community centre or lack of one. And it's something that surprised me because I didn't realise there was a need for it. Um, but say I'm not a Hillsy resident, so I wouldn't necessarily know that. Um, but um there seems to be a desire for one now. Um, and I don't think there was a couple of decades ago, but it seems to seems to have changed slightly. So yeah, fingers crossed they can start moving on that, looking at locations and stuff. But obviously these are things all come with affordability. Mm. You know, how do we afford a community centre and so on and so forth? So I think there's got to be some work done on that motion, but it's good to start the ball rolling at least. Yeah, no. It must admit that was the Carry angle on, that we we took it when we when we looked at it. Thanks, Ian. That, when we looked at it last week, you know, our our kind of thought process was would you would you normally kind of start looking for a venue um, or a location before you've kind of identified a pot of money that you can use to kind of kind of do it but is is this just the way you kind of need to do it because the, the 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 you know not build it design it and the money will come is that yeah, kind of the yeah the, the well the the issue is with a lot of things in Portsmouth mm. at the moment is available open mm. space or available buildings or available land you know and different bits of lands cost different bits of money so it's really hard to determine how much much money you specifically need for a project mm -hmm. nowadays without having the idea or notion at least of where you're going to put these things um it's one of the issues i faced in pools grove or facing in pools grove currently the current community center of whether they're going to move it or knock this one down build another and, and the question does always originate around mm -hmm. money um but i think this is a very early stage motion you know it's a very very early stage it's not something that's been considered for decades as, as that was made clear in the full council um so initially it's a feasibility let's see if one it's relevant um and and needed and where can we put it and then as i say when the full council full budget comes up next year we can start to see whether there's a plausible money pot for it or how that could possibly work um but with anything like a community project or a community center these things take years it's not an overnight mm -hmm. job um so having the foundations there at least uh, is quite a reasonable first and is step it something where you might look to to work with existing um with existing kind of facilities that are within the 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 ward uh I, I get full disclosure i'm a member of portsmouth rugby club you know which is very busy on a saturday mm. um and and you know they are starting to host some community events um you know is that something that that could be considered to to utilize th those kind of spaces which perhaps aren't aren't active seven days a week yeah we we don't have to build a new centre if there's something available. You know, we don't have to do that. Um, you know, and this is about looking at the land because there is some options and options that I didn't even know existed, hidden away and tucked away in nice locations. We do own a significant amount of property in Hillsy. Um, some things are used as big storage yards. We've got a 
councillor simpson will be able to tell you the exact details but he did show me and it's there's we own a big brick building um and it's currently and it's in the middle of hills literally smack bang in the middle it's a great building a great location currently we use it for storage um you know we've got a lot of space in the civic offices we could use yep. for storage so you know the, the, there could be options where we where we look at existing buildings to keep the cost down and to make it more viable okay one to, uh, another one to watch then um what were the you also kind of weighed in on the on the park homes um conversation um kind yeah. of calling out the the the, the whole on of the conversations about um trying to say that well the park home residents aren't aren't subject to stamp duty which is normally what about three percent um and uh, yeah. but this charge is ten percent so you know it, yeah, do you know what? It's um that was the most contentious issue of the day, as you probably know, because everything else was sailing through mm -hmm. quite easily. I've never known a full council be so amicable the whole way through. Um, and then Park Homes come up and all hell broke loose, and suddenly we had an hour and a half debate. But you know, I said if if, if you did listen in, I said very openly that we were going mm -hmm. in there against the motion. We were fully going in there against the motion. Our our philosophy was, I mean, don't get me wrong, we also went into the meeting thinking because we were told that that there was a legal ramification if we didn't um so obviously that was clarified during the meeting as, as councillor heaney just said um we thought that that was a position that would be a legal ramification we also looked at the stamp duty element we looked at different elements of it and and going into that meeting we were 100 percent voting against it there was no if buts or maybes and then we had a brilliant um deputation or representation at the beginning of the meeting from a, a gentleman called john who lives on site and um, it was it was my father, Brian Madgwick, next to me. He turned around and went, mm, not too sure about voting against it now. And I was like, right, we need to have a chat about this. Um, so we had a chat outside. And what we then did is during the little breaks and intervals, we went to speak to the Conservatives um, and just find out a little bit more. Because the thing is, and it is a really difficult thing as a councillor, is you're expected to know mm. everything about everything, you know, a drop of a hat. And it's not realistic. You know, we don't know the intricacies of this park home debate. You know, we don't know everything, you know. So I called in uh, Lee Mason. I spoke to Lee and I said, look, come on, just be blunt. Tell me, tell me why we should vote for it. You know, give me the. And he said one really simple thing to me. And, it, and this is what changed my mind. He said, you own a house, don't you? I said, yeah, I do own a house. He said, wonderful. He said, imagine if I come to you tomorrow and told you I'm taking 10 percent off you as soon as you sell it out. What would you react like? And I was like, I'd blow up and go mad. And that's that's literally the first thing I thought. And I thought, right, OK, this is fair enough. You know, these people bought these sites. You know, it's, it's irrespective of every other council in the country other than five implement a charge. You know, these people bought their park homes without the knowledge or without the, the foresight that yep. they would be charged as 10 percent. So it's really kind of awful for them to turn around and all of a sudden chuck this 10 percent on. And also 10 percent is incredibly high. I spoke to the um, actually I won't tell you who I spoke to, but I spoke to one of the legal advisors prior and I said, did it have to be 10%? Or, and they said, no, it could have been 2 or 3%. I thought, well, that I could agree with. Because, you know, as homeowners, we pay stamp duty. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the fact they don't pay stamp duty, I think that if they said, look, 2 3%, I think that would be fair and at least justifiable. But 10% is a massive stretch. And I think that was too far. Um, and that's why we ended up voting, voting for the motion. And I hope, I mean... I'm a big councillor Sanders fan. I mean, since yeah. day one, he took me under his wing and he showed me the ropes as an independent when I had nobody else to go there. So I'm a big Darren fan. And I think as a cabinet member for housing, I think he probably is the best option out of all 42 councillors. I do. I honestly can't rate the guy highly enough. But his speech to justify it was a was rubbish you know and I, I know councillor Heaney brought it up but saying people liked it and there was a, a it was really really poor um 
And hopefully now the Liberal Democrats will will pull back on this um, and and revert it back to its original status because it's clearly not got not got support of the council. Yeah, it was. Um, it, you know, I, I have to. I mean, we we're both fans of of Darren's as well. We've we've yep. had him on the on the podcast several times, um, and he's always been. Uh, really good and engaging and giving us really good thorough answers to why x y z why things work a particular way um sadly those those skills didn't seem to be with him in his intervention in the, in the chamber on tuesday um it was only one of two recorded votes on the day everything else was was all of the other business was done unanimously um so it's quite clearly a, a um an issue i mean we said last week it's it's just you know it's just giving to be honest with you i can't understand it seems to be the administration just giving the conservatives something to campaign on in Eastie and Craneswater and in Cosham um but um but there it is but um yeah maybe maybe if the day is maybe if the room isn't as comfortable in future maybe the maybe the even a packed agenda like Tuesdays you can get through it as in six and three quarter hours instead of being there till nearly midnight maybe that's a maybe that's the way to go it would it would be nice it would be nice and uh, you know on a separate thing, because I say I watched I watched Councillor Heaney, and, and obviously, um, you know, the Conservatives did have a mini attack on him for putting through the putting through the budget in 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 um in March. But you know, and I voted through the budget as well. But I think it's it's very important to understand that when we're voting for a budget, we're voting for a whole budget. Yeah. You know, we're not voting for an individual thing. And I think that's maybe one of the weaknesses in in the system. Um, you know, I don't think that stereotypically. Labour or myself or Claire and Jeanette Smith would have probably voted for that for that thing if it was a standalone issue. Um, but it wasn't. We had to vote on a on a full budget, mm. you know, and that's the things that people got to remember. It's 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 difficult. And did we want to sit there at eleven o'clock at night and say, right now rewrite the whole budget because of this one topic, you know, which by the way was very well hidden within the budget. It was a very little sneaky hidden thing that was put in there. Um, and that's what people got to remember. You, you vote for a whole thing, not mm. an individual topic. And I didn't overly like the dig at, dig at Labour about that, um, because, as I say, it was it was a difficult position for us all to be in. Yeah, but we couldn't decline a whole budget because of one tiny little. That, that would seem segment, yeah, that would you know? seem kind of strange at the last minute. Just say no, yep. throw out the whole six hundred page document or whatever it is, and start again. Take a take a you know yeah. take a, we're starting again yeah. on a new blank piece of paper. That's just that's just not really kind of how it works. But there is also political point scoring made of this party voted against X Y Z, and it and it is just a small part of the budget. So maybe some politicking and point scoring ab uh, about that doesn't doesn't serve anybody in the long run, does it? But no, well, so so time thanks very much. Time for the summer, George, and uh, and uh, a, a a bit of time off or. Uh, or more more wrestling with uh with with different councils uh over fair and well yeah well yes. you've probably seen the news probably seen yeah. the news I'm, yeah i'm in my own review tomorrow it's yeah. the tables have turned so um i'm having my own review tomorrow but um you know luckily for me the experience of being a councillor in this council especially with my role on licensing it's given me a full pack of ammo to go in there with you know I'm, I'm i know what i'm talking about now and i tell you what tune in at 10 o'clock in the morning because it's uh, it should be incredibly interesting should, should be a lively much. one well best of luck with that george and um and uh hopefully we'll Thanks, see you mate. in the autumn wonderful best wishes guys Cheers. thank you so uh, we, we're nearly we're nearly there before we go to a before we go to a summer break ourselves. We're going to take August off, come back in in September. Yes, indeed. What else has happened this week? Has there been something oh, else going on this week? Oh, oh I'm dead. It's sadness. 
general sadness. So this is where I be- I take off my hat of neutrality and put on my rather fetching conservative hat, which is probably a tricorn hat of some sort. Um, yeah, so the leadership process, um, you know, again, all the way through, I was very encouraged by it. Um, you know, I thought it was very positive to see a very diverse um, group of candidates putting their hat in the ring, you know, to be the Conservative leader. Um, you know, I watched some of the debates and, and I thought, um, um, I thought, you know, many of the uh, of the, the, the contenders gave really good accounts of themselves. Um, there were two that I really didn't care for. Um, you know, I thought that uh, Rishi appeared very sort of disingenuous and the words spoken didn't didn't really play through with the the actions and I thought that Liz Truss was was very kind of wooden in her delivery and and looked for me a little bit out of her depth and um, but I think I called it fairly on in the piece as as things were shaping up my my worry was always going to be that as a member I was going to be left with a choice of Rishi or Liz and that is exactly what's happened. So Penny was in second spot all the way along. And then the uh, the final allocation of votes saw a slip to third. So in the spirit of democracy, um, the membership doesn't get to vote for Penny, which is extremely frustrating And because she would have won the vote and would be our next prime minister. So have the have the Conservative Party um have the parliamentary sorry have the Conservative Parliamentary Party handed the next general election to the Labour Party then? That is my fear, if I'm honest, Simon. So there is an element of you know again, you know Rishi has made his personal wealth. Um, you know his wife has an extraordinary uh, and wealth, but again to the backdrop of that, you know legally pays all the tax that she should do in India and in the UK. So I know she's been made out to build non-DOM tax. So there's an element for, you know, Rishi and his wife are a very wealthy family. So for me, the standing there and saying, you know, well, we've got to, you know, we've got to keep fiscal prudence and we don't want to leave a debt to our children and our children's children. Basically rings hollow from a man, and 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 his wife who are worth potentially the best parts of three quarters of a billion pounds so i find taking that line and you know the councillor the the chap who went chancellor was um giving away money like there was no tomorrow during the pandemic now to stand and and give that oh yeah well you know times are hard we're gonna have to tighten our belts i, I again rings hollow uh, and similarly you know liz truss for me is you know is, is looking to play to the to, to the party faithful, taking this sort of very hard line approach. But um, no, for me, I, 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 I worry about both of them um, being able to defeat Keir Starmer at the next election. They basically got, they've got two years to turn around the, the integrity, the integrity mess that I fear that Boris has left the party in. Um, and for me, Rishi as a, candidate who was his right-hand man um that doesn't look great and again somebody who's copped the fine themselves and liz also was another one of his front benches and it, it does it does sadden me that um you know the parliamentary party were very very aware of who the best candidate was um who the membership wanted 
and um, they have chosen not to give us the option to to elect that candidate. Um, and it, it, it plays to the, the the last election. You know, if you if you look at it, the the members were given the option of Boris or an arch remainer that wished to prolong the agonies of exiting the EU. Um, you know, there were there were mm. two strong Brexit candidates, Michael Gove and Boris, but there's an element of Michael was never going to be allowed to be on the ballot paper um, just in case he won. Um, well, I, I find it, as, a, as an observer, I find it, um, I mean, I find it mildly horrifying, but um, from a out of curiosity perspective, I find it interesting that both the parliament, yeah, both when both parties had leadership elections, both the Labour Party and the Conservative Party, obviously most recently, yep. the parliamentary parties seemed to have a different view as to who they thought was the right candidate than what the uh, what the membership seemed to, seemed to think. Um, um, it's interesting the different mechanisms that the that the two different parties use to select a leader, which is also different to uh, to what the Liberal Democrats use to choose uh, the leader. Considering the Conservatives are absolutely adamant that first past the post is the best thing ever, I don't understand why they're not willing to put all of the candidates before the members and ask them to vote for the best candidate. Um, if first past the post is the best one, why gerrymander? Um, a decision between the awful and the dreadful when actually there are, um, you know, other other yeah, alternatives. Be, be, better I candidates don't, I don't that, the, that. that the membership wants. And I think that's that's the, uh, I guess, mm. the fundamental difference between the, 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 the two parties as it stands currently is whilst the, the parliamentary Labour Party, you know, can get their people onto the list, ultimately it, it's, you know, the national executive, it, it's quite a, it's a bigger list and the membership determine the outcome. Whereas obviously, you know, the, 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 the way in which the, the process works for the Conservatives is you end up having to call heads or tails. And um, it, I, I think it's going to be a very, uh, to be honest, I, I, I don't, you know, there's going to be debates and there's going to be hustings and there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk. I, I think, for most members, they, they've they've seen enough already. Um, you know, there is an element of, yeah, personally, I feel that it's been engineered that, you know, well, you're going to vote for Rishi because you don't want Liz Truss, do you? And there is the, well, there's, get, there's the yeah, contrarian but in but... me that says, well, if you're trying to back me into a corner and you're trying to engineer an outcome, I will not comply. No, well, if you end up with a, um, I mean... Obviously, the the turnout figures will will um, see whether whether that bears fruit. Um, but it, you know, at the end of the day, that again is the mechanism. I I, I I've spoke before about um, you know, single transferable vote would would you know at least enable you to build a um, a larger grouping of people that support even if they weren't their preferred candidate, the eventual winner. Yep. Instead of building large coalitions of people that hate the winner within your own party, that doesn't seem to be like a long-term uh, recipe for success. But you know, um, four prime ministers in six years. Thank God we didn't vote for all that chaos with Ed Miliband, eh? Well, and who knows where we would have ended up? So, yes, on that rather controversial bombshell and i will place my ex at some point over the summer we'll be back in september to review who won the race brackets i think it'll be liz truss and we will pick up on lots we've got plenty planned but if anybody has any ideas of what they'd like us to cover when we come back we're always open to those things you've been listening to the pompey politics podcast i've been ian tiny morris 
And our guests today have been Matthew Winnington, Graeme Heaney and George Magwick. Thank you all three for joining us and I've been Simon Sandsbury. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa. Play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy.